Welcome to the next edition of Grid Forward Chats. I'm Bryce Yonker with Grid Forward. We're thrilled to have with us today uh, from the great state of Washington, uh, Governor Jay Inslee. Governor Inslee was um, elected, uh, I believe, in 2012 as the longest serving governor in our country. Um, as far as elected officials go, I, I don't know of any that are more committed uh, and knowledgeable about the topics around energy grid and climate. So we're really interested to dive into the details. Governor, thanks for being on with us. Yeah, thank you. You know, you say you know, anybody more committed, but nobody else has more people who want me to be committed as well. So Governor, thank ways. you. Thank <laughs> you. So maybe maybe not as much on, on your background or how, uh, but to jump in here, why? Why, why did you decide to, to run for governor and take on that role? Why is it something that, um, that really drives you to do the work that you do every day? Well, there's a lot of passions. I have many passions, but the ones we're talking about is a very uh, thing very close to my heart. And if I may speak personally, uh, my grandchildren. And I, I, I think of my grandchildren as proxies for the, for the other 8 million people that I work for every day. And I just think about the, uh, the number one moral responsibility I think that my generation has is to give uh, the second, third, fourth, and fifth generations a shot at a decent life. I think that's our highest moral purpose. We'll be gone and forgotten shortly, but to, you know, we're kind of a link in the chain and we ought to at least live a planet where they got a shot at a healthy future. And that is so much in doubt right now. Uh, and I really do love my state the evergreen state and the thought that we would give passed down to the next generation a state where all the forests are burning down, where the water is acidifying, where there's no salmon in the rivers and the orca are extinct, and you can't breathe the air because of forest fire smoke. The thought that we would pass that down to them is, is unacceptable to me and the vast majority of the people I work for. And so I, I have a, a personal passion on this, and it's one that's shared by the vast majority of Washingtonians as well. And, you know, there's so many other things we work on, homelessness, uh, increasing special education, uh, get, dealing with gun safety. We're doing all of those things in the state of Washington. I'm proud of the progress we've made, but I'm perhaps proudest of what we're doing to give a, our grandkids a shot at a habitable planet. And I'm proud of what our state is doing that we'll talk about today of the multiple things in that regard. Yep, there's a lot of successes we get to talk about. So let's dive in. Um, as far as energy and the grid, um, from your perspective, what are some of the top priorities and, and how do we move and pass and implement those key elements? Multiple priorities. Uh, I would start by increasing the generating capacity of clean energy. That's number one on the grid. If we want to just talk about the grid to start with, just creating more uh, robust and comprehensive, uh, clean, non-fossil fuel-based generating capacity. That's the most obvious thing. We're making big progress on that. Our wind power is increasing anywhere from 15 to 20% a year, sort of linearly. We have thousands of, of megawatts on the drawing boards right now, and, and, the, and will be shortly in the siting process. Uh, solar is coming on with a similar degree of rapidity. We've got about 40 sites now in the pipeline for potential siting. Uh, the largest photovoltaic manufacturer in the Western Hemisphere is in Bellingham, Washington. Uh, so increasing the generating capacity is the most obvious thing that we need to do at scale as rapidly as humanly possible. 
And the reason we are having such explosive growth in that capacity is twofold. Number one, the technology is just outstanding. The cost curve continues to come down. It's been steady state. Every time you increase capacity by X percent, the price come down at Y percent, and that has continued. So the cost curve coming down per kilowatt hour is driving this explosive growth. And we have abundant capacity in our state. We've got anywhere from about 18,000 megawatts of potential capacity for wind power itself. And that's just one of the sources. So the cost curve continues to come down. We still have abundant capacity for multiple sources of renewable energy. So I'm very optimistic about increasing our generating uh, capacity. The second thing is to make sure that we uh, have storage capacity for renewable sources and to have dramatic increases in that, in that storage capacity for multiple means. The, most, the, the first one that comes to mind is battery technology. And that technology likewise is really rapidly increasing. We have two, I'm very excited about two companies, Sela uh, and Group 14, that have the first manufacturing plants for silicon anode batteries in the country. And they have a capacity to increase storage by you know, 10, 20, 30% or more in the storage uh, world. And whether that's grid or just cars to start with, we don't know. But the technology, technological advances in battery technology extremely. But we also have pump storage capacity in the thousand plus megawatt range for pump storage. So a lot of capacity for growth there. Third is to making sure uh, we increase our transmission capacity. And largely the biggest challenge there is siting transmission lines, as you know. We're making progress. We have a bill that has passed, I think one of our chambers now that will expedite our siting of transmission capacity to, to start pre-siting these uh, capacity lines, if you will, to jumpstart by several years, uh, the siting decisions. And this is absolutely critical. It's one thing that I'm you know, encouraging the administration to be assertive on this because and citing in general, because I saw some, don't hold me to this, but I saw some estimate that if we don't, if we continue to cite our transmission and capacity systems at the rate we're going now, we'll be able to spend the Inflation Reduction Act by 2095. So this is a very high priority for all of us. And states are very important on this. We really appreciate the president's leadership and Congress with the Inflation Reduction Act. But if we can't cite these facilities, we're not going to be able to make these investments. So I'd say those are the three things. Oh, and, and, and R&D, obviously, as well. We're doing really strong R&D. We're opening up a, a Clean Energy Institute with Washington State University and the Tri-Cities here to be uh, dedicated to some of the public policy issues as well. And, you know, when I go in these labs and see these young people inventing these whiz-bang technologies, very, very exciting. Yeah, you mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, so let's jump into the federal policy impact uh, between the infrastructure package and others, there's a lot of money coming into infrastructure to focus on the grid and climate. Uh, where are Washington's priorities and, and how does the infrastructure package level up the work that the state of Washington is trying to achieve? Well, of course, Washington only wants fairness in the distribution of this infra these infrastructure and inflation adjustment uh, investments. And what we mean by fairness is half for Washington state and half for the rest of the country. That's, that's what we mean by fairness. So we'll be happy if we have half of that in Washington state. We are well poised for really significant investment here, both because we're a hotbed of technology, 
we're uh, working to try to agree, get a green hydrogen hub uh, in the state of Washington and in association with Oregon. We're, we're very well poised to do that because we have a maritime shipping sector, we have technology, and we have abundant, uh, relatively inexpensive electricity to become a hub. So we have a lot of assets that we think will put us in a really good position to maximize uh, the investment of these dollars. And we have an ecosystem around this. So we can, when we make a pitch to the federal government, we can uh, show with some confidence that we've got one of, if not the best, sort of ecosystems of policies. We've got, we just had our first auction for the best uh, cap and invest bill in the United States. It started last Tuesday, it went very well. And the reason it's the best, by the way, is A, it's very aggressive. And two, it has, uh, I think, arguably the best equity provisions to take uh, account of disproportionately affected communities. I think it's a model for the rest of the country with great prevailing wage uh, protections. So, uh, you know, our low carbon fuel standard, we were the first in the country uh, this year to adopt building codes that will require the installation of heat pumps in all new construction starting next year, which sort of eliminates the need to use fossil gas, dirty fossil gas, which we know causes asthma in our homes and businesses. So, and of course our 100% uh, grid bill. Uh, so I think that we're very well poised to, to, uh, to use these dollars uh, effectively. But again, we have to make sure we can site these facilities. We have to make sure that we get the uh, charging infrastructure to implement our zero uh, fossil fuel cars after sales after 2035. By the way, we, we, we hope the administration gets that, gets that reg approved as quickly as possible so we can have assurance in that regard. So I think we're very well poised to be a good candidate and we will be uh, aggressive in, in this regard. Yeah, you mentioned the 100% Renewables Act. So the, the CETA, Clean Energy Transformation Act, was, was a monumental piece of legislation. Uh, before it, uh, er, early in your tenure, you implemented the, the Clean Energy Fund. Um, there's some key commitments that the administration there in Washington has put down. Do you think those position the state well to, to leverage the federal funds that are coming well, out? And, and it's kind of seems like a competitive advantage for the state. Well, it's a huge competitive advantage. And I think our state, as much as any, recognizes that we have to have states to double down and not just rest on federal dollars. In order to accomplish our national goals, states have to be more aggressive than the federal government. As much as we appreciate the, the miracle, and it was a miracle to get this through West Virginia uh, and other obstacles, um, on a federal level, we have to recognize we will not come close to meeting our national goals unless states go further faster. And I think our state recognizes that perhaps as much as any. So we're gonna have to move the ball. We have 23 states in the US Climate Alliance, something Jerry Brown and I started a few years ago that have committed themselves to state action in this regard. So that not only puts us in good position competitively for federal dollars, but we're moving the ball in our states. And we can do things in my state that we still can't do in Congress. This cap and invest bill, this essential prohibition on future you know, fossil fuel gas, you can't get that through Congress right now. But those things are absolutely necessary if we're gonna have any hope of meeting our national goals. So one of the things I've been 
uh, championing as, as governors and state legislators are absolutely critical in this fight. And I think sometimes we forget this. You know, all the news comes out of Washington, D.C. when we know the real Washington is Washington State. Uh, but it's Colorado and, it, and it's Oregon and it's New York and, and it's, it's Michigan as well. And uh, you need to watch the states to see if we're really going to succeed as a nation. Now, we have quite a number of states that are still controlled by folks that, you know, still don't really understand climate change as much. Although that's changing a little bit as we're building more battery uh, factories in the Midwest, as we're building electric cars in the Midwest. You know, how can these even red governors stand against this when we're building jobs by the tens of thousands in their states? So I do think we're going to have more states take state action as they continue to recognize the economic benefits of this revolution that are spread across uh, the United States. So I, I'm optimistic, actually, that states will continue to follow Washington state's lead and join us uh, in this regard. Absolutely necessary. How do state agencies that are going to have such an influx of resources prepare to get ready to leverage this? It's just such a huge amount of work. Well, we're building that infrastructure. It takes infrastructure to win grants, as you know. As recently as yesterday, I had a meeting with my team about structuring the right response. Uh, basically, we have a, uh, in our OFM uh, financial management department, we have a, a surveying system that alerts us. It's kind of like a radar system, incoming. We have incoming money, potentially. And so they alert all the agencies. The agencies then have a system of of going through their priority list to see which grants are most consistent with our priority list and then make sure that we go after them. But we do have to build increasing expertise in some of these to make sure that we can be very competitive. And, and we're, we're talking about uh, actually improving that structure. So I'm confident we will be very competitive. But again, we're not, you know, just relying on federal government here is it, thinking of us as sort of subordinate or dependent on the federal government is not the way to be thinking. I think governors need to figure their, the weight of the planet is on them, not just the president or not just the Senate, U.S. Senate. And if we think about it in those terms, we will be more proactive, more responsible, because federal money is not enough. And I, that's just my central message to, yeah. to get this job done. And we, we can really move the needle. Look, we're not going to be selling fossil fuel cars after 2035 on the West Coast. And in many, I think 12 other states have already joined us. That's a big deal. And we know electric cars are coming on like gangbusters. We've gone up five-fold in the last five or six years. And so we can make enormous progress state by state. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about one of the more nuanced pieces of this, the regulatory realm. Uh, there in Washington, it's called the Utility and Transportations Commission, UTC. Um, changing the energy system is a monumental task, and, and often regulatory challenges come up to help that become possible. What role do you see um, regulators having in, in advancing to this transition that we've been talking about? Well, very significant in multiple ways. One, in the siting issue to be aggressive in that regard. Two, in the rate structure, we have that that controls private utilities, that system, not public utilities but being uh, appropriately uh, uh, observant of, in the rate structure to make sure that we're not gouging consumers during this transition. And I think we're doing a good job in that regard. Uh, those are the, the principal two ways. 
There are some things that we can do on a, just a strictly CO2 basis by the regulatory commission, but it's not, we don't have carte blanche, if you will, to order a particular CO2 reduction, at least in the moment. That's why I'm really glad that we have multiple systems in addition to our utility and transportation commission. All of the things I mentioned have, are, have a regulatory component so you don't have to rely on the utility and transportation commission. So we've got a suite of vehicles and we're using all of them. And that's, by the way, one of the, I think one of the, the mantras or tenets of a clean energy transmission, there is no one policy. You've got to have dozens of policies. You've got to engage all of your agencies. You just can't have your Department of Ecology work on this. You have to have your Department of Transportation. You have to transform it into a Department of Clean Transportation. Your Department of Commerce has to be innately uh, aggressive in recruiting clean energy companies like we're doing, and we're bringing them on like crazy. The stuff that's going on in my state will just blow you away. So last week, we flew the first hydrogen-powered airplane in Moses Lake, Washington, small town east of Seattle, about 130 miles. A couple months before that, we flew the first electric battery-powered nine-seat uh, airplane, and we're recruiting these companies to our state. Our education department has to uh, make sure that we build energy efficient buildings for our school children and we educate our school children. So we have a program called Climb Time where we're educating our, even our elementary school teachers about the science of climate change so they can share that with their students. So the point is you've got to get, you got to make your climate effort uh, comprehensive throughout your state government to get this job done. Can't just rely on one agency. Can we talk a little bit about uh, environmental justice, equity, and access? Um, it's a it's a key topic uh, uh, in the energy transition realm. How is the state working to address that in the energy transition? No one's left behind, and those who really need to see these benefits most are 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 finding them a reality. Well, I think this is a really great opportunity to have two revolutions, not just one. One in clean energy, but two to have a much more equitable society. And this, you know, when you have a transition, it gives you a new way of doing business. So we've passed a thing called the HEAL Act, which embeds equity in everything we do uh, from a structural standpoint. We've turned that into policy, for instance, in our cap and invest bill, 35% uh, uh, of all of the investment that this that, that is generated by our, our, our auctions, which was very successful last Tuesday, by the way. We were very happy the way the first auction went. 35% uh, of that needs to be invested in a way to benefit disproportionately impacted communities, which are uh, mostly communities of, of, of low income and frequently uh, communities of color. And 10% actually go to, uh, to help tribal communities. So we have 45% of all the money generated by this. It's targeted that I think will help improve the, the sense of the arc of the moral universe by bringing more equity. And that, no other state has made that type of commitment. A second, we've, we've embraced really strong labor standards to make sure that these are, are family wage jobs, make sure that uh, folks have organizational rights. <clears throat> Excuse me, while we're building these and plants and transmission lines, those are also the best uh, in the nation. I mentioned education. This is a big deal. I was lucky. I grew up in a sleeping bag, my mom and dad worked on the slopes of Mount Rainier for a group called Student Conservation Association, and they revegetated alpine meadows. I'm very proud of what my parents did. And I was lucky, I had those outdoor experiences. 
But we want to make sure every kid has that. That's why I proposed $52 million in outdoor education so that every child has a chance to get outside. That's the place where they learn science best. Science in a textbook's okay, but putting your, your hands in the water and testing the pH and figure out what it does to frogs and fish, that's what really sticks in kids' minds. And so that's an important part of what we're doing. And we want to reach out to all kids, not just those who are lucky enough to have a sleeping bag like I did. Yeah, I would love to take the rest of our time talking about that. I love the Northwest <laughs> outdoors myself. You can see the, the, the native red band trout where, picture. Where there. are you? Where are you? I'm in, I'm in the Beaverton area. Yeah, just south of you here in Oregon. Good. Well, I had a good discussion with your governor the other day. She's yeah. doing good work. So let's talk a little bit about innovation. Um, we tend to think that a lot of the aspects slowing down innovation might be bar barriers like markets, business models, financing, call culture, policy. There's a lot of technology we think on the shelf that can get used. Uh, a, a rather famous innovator up there, Mr. Gates, tends to think we need some breakthroughs to really be ready to address the climate uh, uh, crisis. You don't have to pick a side, but what what do you think would be really helpful in the in the realm of applying innovation uh, to, to the energy and climate issues? Uh, let me think about that. What would be helpful? Well, to continue the rate of innovation that we've experienced, it's 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 astounding. Yeah. And I've you know during my short lifetime, seems like a long time, but it's actually short in geological time. Uh, the, the innovation has been astounding. I tell you one little story. So. In 2006, uh, I saw the potential of electric cars, and I wanted to get my colleagues, I was then serving in the U.S. House of Representatives, and I wanted to get them to get, get religion on electric cars. So I got General Motors to bring down their prototype uh, hybrid uh, Volt, the GM Volt. It was a hybrid vehicle, and they brought it down, they brought it down at U-Haul, and I, and I got my mostly my buddies in Congress to come out in front of the Longworth Building to come see the electric future. And they rolled it back off, off the U-Haul, and then we popped the trunk or the hood, and there was nothing in it. And I said, well, you know, where, where's the motor? And they said, well, we don't have a motor yet. We're starting to think about how to do the motor. And all my buddies just gave me a raft of abuse saying, you idiot, this thing is just a toy. It's, this is a dream, never going to come true. We're going back to work and to hooey with you. And they just gave me all this abuse, like this was never going to happen, right? Well, here we are in 2023. People are going crazy for electric cars. I'm driving a Bolt privately, and my state patrol now has a Mustang E, and the troopers just love it. They just love this electric car. Talk about acceleration. So you've gone from 2006, when people gave me a raft of abuse to think I was an idiot thinking of electric cars, where you can't make them fast enough. And that is, you know, that rate of, we just need to make sure that rate of innovation continues and I think the market is responsive and is pouring, you know, billions of dollars into investment. Uh, the, the car companies are fighting each other tooth and nail to have dominance in this regard. And so, I, I, you know, I'm, I feel good about that. Now, uh, Mr. Gates is thinking about the last, you know, 6%. Where does the last 6% come? You know, we've, we've, got a, we've got a good glide path down the last 6 or 10%. So it is important to think about that last six or ten percent. We don't know what it is at the moment. Uh, will it be? Will it be modular nuclear reactors, which are safer and and much less expensive? There is a good possibility of that. Will it be breakthrough in energy uh, battery storage? Uh, will it be a hydrogen future that we, you know, is is still 
still working out the logistics of that. We don't know what the last 10% of that is, but I'm sort of confident in the human innovative talents of the, of the human cranium and because, we, because we've experienced such profound changes. I remember rotary dial phones during my lifetime. So, you know, when you think about the, the, the cell phone, I always think the cell phone is, is the best model. of You know, when you had the first cell phone and how fast we've come. I remember the moment when I heard about, about I know this sounds ridiculous. I was walking down the stairs at Treetop. I was a lawyer at the time in Eastern Washington. I met a friend of mine, a friend of mine Jerry Bagland. He says, Jay, this most exciting thing happened to me. And I go, what's that, Jerry? He goes, we just discovered this thing where like you can leave messages on your phone. It's called voicemail. And I go, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> you know, that was, I don't know, 25 years ago now or whatever. Anyway, I think we should be confident. I think the most important message for us right now is not despair. And you can't have despair when you look at the collapse of the Arctic and Greenland. You know, you can fall into a funk. And I think it's really important right now that our most important message is confidence and a can-do spirit. And the reason I say that is that when people feel despair, it promotes inaction, right? Like, poor me, I can't do anything here. We can do a lot here. We can do all here. And action is the antidote for despair. And it really is. I know children, kids are, have a lot of anxiety about their futures. Well, I want to help them, which is to give them things to do about it, to take action, to go you know, start a company, work in a company, become a civil engineer, a mechanical engineer, EE major, go invent a new product, adopt a policy in your hometown to to electrify your, your transportation grid and focus on public transportation. I really think the message right now should be, we can do this. And I believe we can, and it's important that we believe that. So that's my message, I'm sticking to it. I love it, Governor. I'm gonna ask one more question. And you previewed uh, our next our next guest. We'll have the CEO of NewScale on next time. They oh, great. The Small Modular Nuclear Act here, yeah. here in Oregon. And last year we had the uh, CEO of a fusion company that was also in the Northwest. On. Well, I didn't mention fusion because then, then people would say, they'd make fun of me like I did on the electric car. But, <laughs> yeah, it, by the way, I'm, I may be one of the few governors who has precipitated a fusion reaction. We have three fusion companies or four you in, indeed. in Washington State. And one in Bellevue, they let me push the green button and they tell me it caused a fusion reaction for a billionth of a second. So I felt a lot of power there. Yeah. So our final question here, Governor, um, what drives you to pursue the issue of advancing energy in the grid? And, and how can those of us that are in this space, we're in utilities and tech companies and government and others, how can we inspire and empower more people to work in a meaningful way and, and really bring about the change that's necessary? As governor, what inspires me is the enormous economic potential for people to have good jobs, family wage jobs, and a growing, prosperous, and healthy state. That's as governor. And the profound economic benefits of this are, are, are un, almost unimaginable. I'm seeing that trans, transition. And what, one of the things that excites me about it is just not in the big cities. It's all across my state. It's in the rural counties. Actually, rural counties are having more growth economically than urban counties right now. Uh, and, and so having a diverse economic growth where the whole state is growing economically is really, is really a beneficial and gratifying to me. So that's as governor. As a person, it's the way we started this discussion. Uh, I have two new grandchildren this last fall. I have six all total. 
and the thought that I might give them a shot to have forests to hike in and salmon in the rivers and air to breathe, I would like to have that legacy for them. I'm not going to leave them much money. I guarantee you that. I've been in public life too long to leave much money, but I hope I leave my Washington state that's beautiful like I found it. Uh, I'd be real happy about that. Well, Governor, it's been an honor and a pleasure. Thanks for being on with us. Thanks for the leadership there in Washington. You're teaching so many, so many folks uh, a strong vision of where we go with all this. Thanks for being on with us. Thank you. We can do this. Go get them. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Bye, Governor. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Grid Forward Chats. If you're interested in Grid Forward membership and our work to accelerate grid modernization and energy innovation, including the backlog of our podcast, visit us at gridforward.org. If you like the podcast, please share it with your friends and colleagues and give us a rating on your favorite podcast app.